What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. On today's show, Tom Jackman, the lead reporter on their expose published earlier this week of the flawed investigation into the police killing of Albers. It's super rare to get a look at how cops investigate cops. You never see that. That we never get this kind of inside look at how do the police do these investigations? And when we see this investigation, six days, no diagram, no walkthrough, no analysis, uh, this is the investigation that police do of their own when they kill somebody, which happens a thousand times a year in this country. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. John Alberts of Overland Park, Kansas, was just 17 years old when he announced on social media that he was suicidal. Concerned friends called law enforcement. But instead of receiving help, Albers was shot 17 times, excuse me, 13 times by Officer Clayton Jennison. The Washington Post conducted a deep dive investigation of his murder and provided it to five law enforcement experts. Here to discuss is Tom Jackman, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who has covered police crime and courts for the Washington Post since 1998 and is a lead reporter on their expose published earlier this week of the flawed investigation into the police killing of Albers. Good morning, Tom. Hi, Kat. Great to be here. Glad to have you. Tom, we're going to get to the behavior of Officer Jennison shortly, but is there anything I left out in terms of describing what happened to Albers in January 18 as he backed out of his driveway? No, only the next step, which was that an investigation was done. The police took all of six days to investigate this homicide, tossed it over to the DA, and he promptly... Uh, cleared the officer. If you watch the video, the dash cam video from three different police cars, you're, it, it just takes your breath away. You're like, ah, why did he do that? And this <clears throat> DA uh, ruled it justifiable uh, within a month. And uh, they, and not only that, they gave the officer a $70,000 severance payment to go away. And so they're I start getting outraged just thinking about it, and I've been thinking about it for four years. Now, Jennison used that old-time favorite of law enforcement officers who kill, quote, he feared for his life, end quote. Specifically, he feared that a van backing out of a garage, which is usually a pretty slow speed, was moving fast enough that he thought he was going, it was going to hit and kill him. But the video showed different, Correct. Yeah, the van and somebody, you know, an expert measured that the van was going 2.5 miles per hour. This officer does not announce himself. They get to the scene, they get to this kid's house, and they stand around in the front yard. Two officers just stand there. And they're like, what should we do? Do we have his phone number? No. They don't knock on the door. They don't say, hey, John, we're here. We want to help you. They just stand there. And then one of them goes trotting away from the scene. And then the garage door opens. And there, here comes the van, slow. The van isn't burning out of the garage. It's slowly backing out. And the cop yells, stop, 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 and fires two shots. Uh, the van spins around, and, and briefly, Jennison is behind the van, and he does what you're supposed to do. He steps out of the way. He steps out of the way. The van starts to move back toward the garage, and Jennison shoots 11 more times into the side of the van, executing this 17-year-old kid. 
the records of these investigations, as you note in your expose, rarely, if ever, make it into the public eye. Even here in California, right, where, where we have worked really hard to, to pass laws that say that they must, um, cops still find a way to dodge uh, releasing it. Uh, how did the details of this case go so very public? So the media in Kansas City kept poking and kept pushing. And after the civil cases were over and there was no internal case, there was no excuse that Overland Park, Kansas could raise to say, well, we need to withhold this file for blah, blah, blah reason. So there were no reasons left. And so last year, they released the entire 500-page file with the videos, including the interviews with the officers and the interview with the shooting officer, Jennison, which is jaw-dropping. And what was the community's response? I mean, I'm, I'm, I can only imagine the outrage of his family, but the, the Overland Park, Kansas community, how do they respond? They're angry, uh, but it's a, you know, it's a, a wealthy suburb, uh, one of the wealthiest, you know, counties in the country, and uh, they generally trust and, you know, and have faith in their police. So they, uh, they, there was not too much of an uproar. Um, the media have kept it uh, on the front burner in Kansas City as much as they could um, with each, you know, development that happened. The, the family sued, uh, the police department sued the city and the officer. And when the city lost a motion to dismiss, they promptly settled the case for $2.3 million. Uh, I would have thought that would have caused some outrage in the city, but it didn't seem to. Um, but people are still uh, are still upset and troubled by it. Uh, the fact that the officer was you know, promptly sent on his way with $70,000 in his pocket maybe calmed some people down. But it's still a, it's still a big issue in Kansas City. All right, so it gets released to the public, and then you all get your hands on it and do a deeper dive. Um, talk about that process and then turning it over to five, I believe, uh, law enforcement experts. What did they find? They, they found that this investigation was uh, missing, wanting key elements. There was no diagram of the scene. Who's ever heard of a homicide where you don't do at least stick figure drawings of here's where the officer was, here's where the subject was. No drawings, no diagrams, uh, no any, no sort of recreation to try to figure out the angles. There was a, a crime lab report done after the investigation was over and the a decision had been announced, at which tracks the trajectory of what bullets you could track. A bunch of the windows were shot out, so it was hard to track the trajectory but so we have all have all this stuff uh and are reading it and we're watching the videos and the the incredibly lightweight interview with the shooting officer who you know they shake his hand when they're done the officer the investigators shake the hand of the shooter which is not something that's done in homicide investigations so um, the there's no uh, they didn't ever took the officer to the scene and and did a walkthrough as their own rules state. Take the officer to the scene either at the time or later and have him show you what happened. I was here. The van was here. They didn't do that. They didn't do any kind of analysis of the trajectory. They didn't do an analysis of the van to try to figure out how fast it was going or what its trajectory was. There was just all sorts of stuff missing, not done that you would think a prosecutor would want 
before he made an informed decision about whether or not to charge an officer. Now, we all know that officers don't get charged very often. And as you said, they can cite the legal standard of, I was in fear for my life. And if that's a reasonable fear, game up. Uh, you know, we're not allowed to second guess the officer per the famed Graham, Graham versus Connor, Connor U.S. Supreme Court ruling. So we showed it to these experts. Experts, uh, you know, a couple of them in California, an LAPD a homicide guy who had done a lot of these investigations and uh, a gentleman from Plumas County who, who trains other departments in how to investigate officer shootings. He said, I'm going to use this as an example of what not to do. Then we showed it to a former federal prosecutor, uh, a law prof, and a former cop and lawyer, now a, uh, an academic. So all five of them had major problems with this. And then we did a 3D reconstruction where we showed, uh, because the police didn't, what the exact position of the officer for each one of the 13 shots. Uh, and so the prosecutor in this case didn't have any of that uh, to look at when he made his decision. Tom Jackman, um, you mentioned that uh, Jennison was given $70,000 in severance pay. Do you know if he's still an active officer anywhere? I mean, a lot of these cops, when departments, you know, ask them to leave or they choose to leave because of community pressure, make what is known as a lateral move and go on to harm or kill people in other communities. You are right. And we've been watching for that. And at one point, about, I'd say, a year ago, maybe two years ago, there was a rumor that he had been hired somewhere, but he has not, uh, our understanding, he's working uh, in a small store in Olathe, Kansas. And then in your investigation, uh, did you learn anything about Jennison's history? Was this the first incident of some kind? Did he have any other community complaints against him? Uh, we don't know. We, uh, and that is one of the things that's not examined in the police file. They should have been looking at that. They take a, an extensive look at John Albers's prior record in juvenile court, 100 pages of the 500-page file looks at the kid. Jennison, the shooter, didn't know any of that. He had none of that in his head, you know, to create his fear. Uh, Jennison, we don't know his police background. We do know, <clears throat> excuse me, that he spent four years on active duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. And by his own count, because he posted this on the web, had participated in over 200 combat missions. So here's a guy that has extensive experience in the military, hardcore, you know, active duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that is also not examined at all by the police. So that's the background that we know of for him. He'd only been on that department about a year and a half uh, when he shot this kid. There's a larger national movement to end the practice of cops responding to mental health crisis. Did this murder spur anything like that in Kansas? It did indeed. This uh, kid's mother, Sheila Albers, uh, became a very vocal advocate for improved training. Uh, and so that entire police department is now getting that training. In fact, I think all the departments in that county are now getting improved training. And they've also increased the availability of mental health uh, practitioners to accompany police on these calls. Uh, so she made, the mother of the victim in this case, made great strides in terms of helping, uh, you know, the police deal with these situations 
Um, so that has been a, a plus that, that emerged from all of this. Tom Jackman, anything that I have not asked you that you feel the people should know? Oh, let's talk. Actually, there's a federal investigation. That's what I left out. Uh, there's a federal investigation that was launched in 2020. Was that a result of the work you all did? Um, and, and where is that at right now? Uh, it is the main justice here in Washington is, is pondering whether or not to charge Officer Jennison with a federal civil rights crime. Uh, and so that they started that in 2020 uh, as a result of just the sort of the collective media coverage. I've been writing about it in the Post. The people in Kansas City have been covering it on TV and in, in the papers. And so the U.S. attorney in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, did request, uh, did help push for this to get started. And I think, uh, you know, is supporting the Albers on this. But the decision will come from D.C., unfortunately. All right. Now I can ask you anything I haven't asked you that the people should know about this case. Well, it's just that it's super rare to get a look at how cops investigate cops. You never see that. Uh, you sort of mentioned that at the beginning, that we never get this kind of inside look at how do the police do these investigations. And when we see this investigation, six days, no diagram, no walkthrough, no analysis, uh, this is the investigation that police do of their own when they kill somebody, which happens a thousand times a year in this country. So I thought it was pretty uh, illustrative of what you know the situation is and whether or not we should have police doing these kind of investigations. Uh, the answer to that, my uh, very uh, biased opinion is absolutely not. Tom Jackman, before I let you go, I just want to thank you and your colleagues at the Washington Post for your coverage of, of police misconduct in this country. As someone who's deeply engaged in this work, I find the police shootings database a really useful resource and um, y'all's willingness to go deep on these issues. It matters. So thank you very much, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Kat. And I wanted to mention to you that I did a bunch of coverage uh, here and actually got out the reports on Natasha McKenna uh, that showed, you know, what had happened to her. And uh, really appreciate you taking that story further. All right. On. We will have you back soon if you'll come. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> We've been speaking to Tom Jackman, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who has covered police, crime, and courts for the Washington Post since 1998 and is the lead reporter on their expose published earlier this week of the flawed investigation into the police killing of John Albers in Overland Park, Kansas. His piece uh, is Inside the Investigation of an Officer Who Killed a Teen Threatening Suicide, and we will have a link to that piece on our website in the archive of this show. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about our topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. That's D-I-S. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. 